Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of the Paranormal Nothing podcast. I'm Juan Quiroz, and I'll be your host again for this episode. And today we'll be covering um, a particular video that's been kind of shared in various paranormal Facebook groups. And it involves a alleged MIB named uh, Joseph Spencer. So MIB, Man in Black. And the video itself, it's real, real grainy. The video, at least, that's been shared uh, everywhere online. Um, and it's about like 15 minutes long. But it's it's an, an older man sitting down, what appears to be a sofa. And he's kind of going through a series of a bunch of, you know, real, um, I would say, uh, high strangeness types of things that this supposed man in black named Joseph Spencer uh, went and did in his life. And the first thing that struck me is that the way that he says these things in this video, he says them very, almost nonchalantly, and uh, kind of going through things like uh, uh, erasing memories, underground bases, and then he gets into real, real high high strangeness things like uh, Project Bluebeam, which we'll talk about later on today. But when I was hearing him talk, I, I thought to myself, I don't think... It just it doesn't fit the bill. Like uh, in other words, him, the way he was saying it, the kinds of things he was saying, I don't I don't know if he really was the person that actually went through that th- those things. And in all of these Facebook groups, it seems that everybody was saying that he was the one. That who who is this Joseph Spencer? You know, you do a quick search online, uh, you you'll you'll find a few things, but you'll find the picture of, uh, you know, again this person that's reading these things and his name is his real name actually is Vic, Victor Dante. So as I was doing my research, I began to see that he actually is not Joseph Spencer. So I think all the times that this video has been shared, uh, this man again reading through these these claims, everybody is assuming that he is Joseph Spencer and he actually is not. And um, the movie actually that this it's actually a video snippet. So Today's episode is going to be an analysis. So we're, we're going to be hearing uh, this video snippet, which is about, again, 15 minutes, a little less than that. I've kind of cut it down. And I've actually was able to get a, um, a real high-quality copy of it. And if you're, if you're hearing the YouTube version of this episode, the YouTube version does have the, uh, the high-quality, obviously, um, video clip. And I'm going to be breaking it down bit by bit. Um, and again, the, the film, after I, I actually saw the whole film, after I began to see this video clip everywhere, the film came out in 2018, and it's called Alien Overlords, and it's a B, it's a B pseudo documentary. That's how I could put it. If you're familiar with movies like The Blair Witch Project, um, even some of these modern tales, kind of like uh, uh, Wreck, or um, I can't think of another one right now, kind of this found footage, and it kind of blends both true history, true facts with, uh, the only thing you could call it is kind of uh, disinformation. So it kind of blends disinformation, um, real high strangeness types of conspiracies, and together with what what is only, you know, what I I think some of these facts might be true. But I'm going to go through it, and I want to kind of put it out there because I feel like a lot of people, again, are sharing this video through various Facebook groups. It's being shared on YouTube. And I don't think there's a lot of um, analysis going going on behind the scenes as to 
you know, everybody's believing what, what this person is saying, particularly one thing, which is, you know, again, it's a coincidence that this, this man in this video, which came out in 2018, says, and uh, so I want to I want to go ahead and, and do that today. And at the end of the video, I'll kind of give you some uh, final thoughts as to, um, again, why, why make this video, what the purpose of it was, and what could we conclude about it? So to start off, in the movie itself, the, the video clip that's being shared online, it's kind of near the end of the actual movie, which is about an hour and 15 minutes long. And if you watch the movie from the beginning, you'll actually see that there's a clear picture of the alleged Joseph Spencer. And he looks like an older man, almost like a Clint Eastwood. He kind of looks like Clint Eastwood. And the actor um, that's actually reading the, 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 the supposed deathbed confession of this MIB, Joseph Spencer, is an actor named Victor Dante. And he's actually come out in a few different films. And he is a person that we are seeing in, the, in this video clip that's being shared everywhere. Now, in the film, he doesn't go by Victor Dante. At the beginning of the film, uh, which takes place in L.A., yeah, he says his name is Tom Keating. So, what I want to do right now is I want to play you the beginning of the film, and uh, then we'll, we'll talk about it. Selected portions to read off. We'll do the vital stuff today and more tomorrow. Okay. Okay, here it is. My name is Joseph Spencer. From May 1970 to October 1997, I served the United States government as a top secret operative, but not in a category that is commonly known or understood. I was known as a man in black. So you see, he, see here, um, he basically starts the video by saying his name. and But if, if you see the video right before that, uh, the part of the video that right before that, you'll see that this particular deathbed confession has, he, he's kind of trying to hide it from supposed people that are trying to get it from him. So throughout the video, you see what could only be described as like men in black that are following him everywhere in LA, that are kind of tapping his phone, that are uh, trying to harass his friends. So he finally gets fed up with it. This, this individual name again, named Victor Dante, the actor that, that you, that you hear read that. And he's, he, he grabs a director of the movie uh, the director also is another actor who's playing the director of this documentary. So, as you could see, it's kind of like a, uh, it's, it's not a real documentary. It's, it's kind of reminds me a little bit of, um, the movie What We Do in the Shadows. It's kind of like a mockumentary. But it's, it, this one kind of uses, um, again, kind of like, uh, high strangeness, aliens, UFOs, paranormal, together with real type of conspiracy stuff that we know about. And it combines them both. But this actor, what he's saying now, again, he's saying his name. He's, he's reading the confession that apparently this man, Joseph Spencer, he finds him dead in his apartment one night. And what he finds is that his apartment has been ransacked. Uh, he doesn't know by who. And he finds like a, again, like, like, a, like a packet of papers where this MIB, uh, and again, he was his friend. And he had told him stories about things that he had done in the past. But... Tom Keating or Victor Dante doesn't believe him. Uh, but, but then little by little, he begins to, he begins to kind of see that maybe there is some truth to it until he finally finds him dead. Uh, and then he, uh, he finds this supposed deathbed confession. And that's where, that's the, that's the, that's, that's the crux of the video 
it's basically his his whole deathbed confession that this character named Tom Keating reads throughout the throughout the video. So in this first part, he says that he served as a operative of the government from 1970 to 1997. That's what he says. So during that 20, those 27 years, he says that he he served the government in a capacity that's called a man in black. Okay, so. The first thing I want to make note of here is that we know that something like this really did occur. Uh, it's called Project MK Ultra, and MK Ultra ran from 1953 to 1973. So, kind of within that, within those last um, three years, let's say that Project Ultra was supposed to have run from 53 to 73. And again, this individual Joseph Spencer in the film, he's saying. 1970 to 1997. So, could it? Could this individual, if he's real, Joseph Spencer, could he have been part of MK Ultra? Maybe. So, what is MK Ultra? If you're not familiar with it, it was again a a project of the the CIA. It was a CIA project that consisted of um, trying to uh, trying to basically erase individuals' memories, erase their their past, in order to kind of create create basically human human uh, weapons, walking weapons, almost like Manchurian candidates, if you're familiar with that term. So some, some of the supposed people that were, were members of this project were the author Ken Kesey. He wrote One, Fo One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and then Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. So if you're familiar with those two, those were the individuals that were supposedly part of this MKUltra uh, project. And although, according to the the data online, it's been dead since 1973, let's say it's been gone. Uh, according to Elizabeth Nixon, who's, uh, who's kind of, um, who, whose mom actually was supposedly also a, somebody who that MKUltra experimented on, that the project actually continues through today, but it's been called, it's something else now. It's not called Project MKUltra. So it kind of continues, but it's kind of been hidden uh, with a different name. So so, so the MK Ultra experiment again. It was for, on humans, and it was intended to identify, uh, develop drugs and procedures to be used uh, in interrogations. Um, I'm kind of just reading you what I, some of the research I did to weaken the individual and force confessions through mind control. So, how did they do this? They used, of course, you know, psychoactive drugs like LSD, psilocybin, mescaline, cocaine, AMT, and DMT. And the the creator of this particular project, his name was Sidney Gottlieb, Dr. Sidney Gottlieb. And at the end of MKUltra, they actually destroyed a lot of information that told about the participants in the program and how these experiments became uncontrolled at some point. And also, again, the follow-up data to these experiments. Did, did the CIA, was the CIA able to create some kind of true Manchurian candidate a.k.a. a man in black that could be forced to or hypnotized to or coerced to kill somebody. And then the next day or when they came back home, they would, you know, basically get their, their mind wiped. So, again, another famous person that kind of falls into this category of uh, supposedly believing and encountering the men in black was Albert Bender. Again, very, very famous person in, in UFO mythology. And... um this is actually what, I'm going to read you what Albert Bender said about an MIB that supposedly visited him. It actually was three of them. This is what he said. He said, they floated about a foot off the floor. 
They looked like clergymen, but wore hats similar to Hamburg style. The faces were not clearly discernible, for the hats partly hid and shaded them. The eyes of all three figures suddenly lit up like flashlight bulbs. They seemed to burn into my very soul, as the pains above my eyes became almost unbearable. So again, Albert Bender is kind of a interesting figure in mythology, in the UFO mythology. And uh, he actually apparently was um, wiped from, you know, from existence and was kind of fed a bunch of different uh, disinformation also. The other interesting part, again, is that this um, Victor Dante reading, reading these dates in relation to MIB, the MIB actually, the, the some of the first times that we actually see them uh, is in the Maury Island case, and that's a very famous UFO case, UFO encounter. And Bender was part, kind of wrote about this case at some point, but this this happened, it, it could have, it happened around the time that this man, Joseph Spencer, apparently became an MIB. So could it, it's not entirely out of the question, but I think more than MIB, I think it was MK Ultra, what this Joseph Spencer was really trying to um, to convey. And what I also want to say is that although that we're focusing on Joseph Spencer as being the supposed MI, true MIB who's kind of coming out of the closet, so to speak, uh, in this deathbed confession, later on in the episode, he actually gives another name for an apparent, uh, his, his, his real name or maybe an alias that the whole film is based on. And I, I don't know about that yet, but I'll talk about it in a little bit. So we're going to go ahead now and listen to the next video clip where, again, the actor Victor Dante kind of goes into the black budget operations behind the kind of work that he did working for this alleged MIB agency. Following seven years acting as a counterintelligence agent for the CIA, I was recruited for a new assignment that entailed working within above top secret operations. I was aware of the black budget projects, but never knew the context of them due to their high level of secrecy. Even the president was denied access to their inner workings. Annually, billions of dollars are poured into black projects, which operate without any supervision or intrusion. They have full autonomy. The operations deal primarily with advancing military technologies, most of which have been reverse engineered from recovered alien spacecrafts that had either crashed or were shot down by our military. The public, sadly, will never, ever have knowledge of these operations. So as you see, nothing new here. Um, he talks about the black budget, and if you're watching, again, the YouTube version of the video, you'll see some cool pictures. But according to some of the data, uh, even in 2000, let's say, 17, 18, the black budget of the U.S. government consisted of $52.6 billion. So that's an insane number um, to be, again, part of this, uh, to, for our budget to consist of that much. That's that's black budget projects. So, again, that's anything that uh, military or any anything related to the armed forces or uh, secret technology that the government doesn't want anybody, that doesn't want out in public. So that's considered part of the black budget. So what the interesting part, again, is near the end of the video where he says that most of this technology that is part of the black budget is reverse engineered alien technology. So that's where you get now into some additional par paranormal stuff. So he also says that even the president is not privy to this, right? So um, how is it that that is not the, that that is the case even? So 
if you look at so this, there's a supposed organizational chart up out there about uh, that shows kind of security clearances in the government, and it shows that the very top level is a majestic clearance. Right below that, cosmic, and then Luna, Ultra, Stellar, Astral, Cosmos, Triad, Orbit, and something called ZD27. Some kind of weird names. And then the president is basically, I mean, I would say almost like 20 levels below majestic. So the president of the United States is clear is top secret crypt, top secret cryptid level number 17. And about, I'd say 20 levels above that is majestic. So the president, according to this chart, definitely is not in the need to know about types of, let's say, technology that has maybe been reversed engineered from, from aliens. And why is this something, you know, that we can say might be the case? Well, we have Bob Lazar. So again, if you're familiar with Bob Lazar, even if you're not, you, if you're familiar with the Joe Rogan podcast, um, and he's come out and he gave a really good interview. And if, if, even if you're not familiar with the Joe Rogan podcast, you know, I'm sure if you're listening to, to the paranormal, nothing, you've heard his name. And I, for one, believe the guy. I've seen a lot of his videos. I've kind of analyzed his facial movements, his tone of voice, his um, his story's just been consistent. I know he's tried to be discredited in a sense, uh, some you know something related to let's say a brothel that he um, I guess frequented out in Las Vegas, and also his wife uh, cheating on him, and a few other things that have come out trying to, kind of a personal discreditation of the guy, but. I believe what he says, you know, especially now that we're seeing the the whole thing about uh, that the government has worked on alien vehicles or vehicles not of the, not of this world, as the LA Times article said. I mean, sorry, the New York Times article said recently. So that he's kind of been vindicated in a sense. So if Victor Dante, the actor reading this about Joseph Spencer, and the fact that does this does exist in the government, you know, we do have real t- top, you know. It's, let's say security clearances way above the president's. We know that that exists because there have been people that have come out that have said that. And and I know there's been some controversy regarding the MJ-12 documents as far as whether or not those documents are real. And again, they describe um, how to, how to let's say, retrieve alien vehicles and how to go about analyzing them for reverse engineering processes. But according to Bob Lazar, that did happen out in... Um, <clears throat> Well, I guess he doesn't want to call it Area 51, but he calls it S4 out in the Nevada desert. And according to him, again, he participated in these reverse engineering projects. So if this black budget does exist, and according to this video, there's nothing there's nothing new that this individual says. Yeah, I agree. could exist. Could we, could we really be reverse engineering alien technology? I think so. There's been so many cases where... Um, things like Teflon, things like um, even uh, microcomputer processing chips, things like that that have just kind of spiked that uh, within, let's say, the last 100 years, technology has spiked compared to all the previous decades, centuries. We all have seen those graphics where, where, we, where we show 1947, after 1947, technology spikes. What happens in 1947? The Roswell crash. But I, I don't know, again, if... If, if we can, we'll ever be able to prove that. But what this video asserts is nothing really new uh, in, in a way.
So we're going to now hear this next part of the video where we kind of talk about some of the people that got this supposed MIB Joseph Spencer into the program. This transition in my life happened in 1970. The senior black project director was William T. Latham, who had worked under CIA executive director Richard Schlesinger. So a couple of names that are said here is William T. Latham and Richard Schlesinger. So William T. Latham, I couldn't find anything on this guy, but I did find one ancestry record for a William T. Latham who was 10 years old um, in 1940. And this was from the 1940 census. So at, at 1940, he was 10 and he's from Ohio family. Um, he had a, uh, a sister and then his parents. So was William T. Latham this person that kind of got Joseph Spencer into the program? Could be. I mean, I don't know, again, if this William T. Latham that I found on Ancestry, if he was had any connection to the director of this film, the maker of this film. But it's interesting, again, that this is the only William T. Latham that I found. In terms of Richard Schlesinger, Richard Schlesinger, on the other hand, he, he did run the CIA, but his name was James Schlesinger. Uh, his middle name was Rodney. So, um, I don't know, again, if they're trying to, again, in, in input here some fake names in order to kind of put some uh, correct information, correct data, together with some pseudo-data, some pseudo-information, all in order to make this kind of a pseudo-documentary again. But Schlesinger was a director of the CIA from 1973, February 2nd, through July 2nd, 1973. So... That's like five months, only five months. And he actually died not that long ago in 2014. Um, but he, again, he remembers the name, this Joseph Spencer character. Uh, he remembers the names of these individuals, but he remembers them incorrectly. But again, I don't think, I think it's done on purpose. It's, it's all again, pseudo information. And he says that this transition happened, started in 1970, where he started getting into this program. So you would think that if he did, if it, if it was a true, let's say a tumultuous time in his, in his life, full of changes, you would remember the names of these individuals that made an impact in your life that kind of are getting you into, um, let's say, this program. The other interesting thing that is, if it started in 1970 and William T. Latham was born in 1930, that means that he was 40 years old when he started recruiting Joseph Spencer into this program, this ultra top secret program, which we could really technically call, you know, the MK Ultra program, because I think that's what it would have been if it was real. Uh, 40 years old to be kind of the top guy in charge of recruiting. That seems kind of young to me. So I, I don't give this fact too much credence. So in this next clip, we're going to hear a little bit about what they, um, what they told him he had to do in order to become part of the MIB program. Latham stated that I was the perfect candidate for my new position. I was a foster child, and I had no connections to existing relatives. I had no friends or social life. It was easy for them to erase my past and provide me with a new identity. I gave myself to them as a priest would to his God. But first, my mind had to be erased. So the first thing that kind of caught my eye was that it kind of resembles what you would go through to become part of a secret space program, the SSP. So if you look at one of my other episodes where I, that I talked about Michael Gerloff, and 
if you hear it, if you if you if you are watching this uh, YouTube video, you can find it pretty quickly by just going to the channel, then go to videos, um, and it's called Secret Space Program, uh, Michael Gerloff and the Twenty and Beck SSP. So, what does this program tell us? Um, what is what does this little snippet tell us? Basically, that I think that if if it does exist, it functions similar to an SSP where if you're going to become an MIB or a member of MKUltra, yeah, they do have to wipe your memory in a sense. And how does that happen? Well, it happens like we talked about at the beginning of today's episode where you have a, a series of uh, primarily drugs, you know, psychotic drugs that are being, that are fed to these individuals and that are, these individuals are trained using maybe hypnosis or other psychological techniques in order to wipe your memory. The, the other interesting thing, again, similar to what, what happens in an SSP is that they tell this Joseph Spencer character that he's, he's a prime candidate. Uh, he's a foster child. He has no family or friends, no social life. Again, similar to what they told Michael Gerloff in the uh, SSP episode. The other thing that I kind of thought that was kind of interesting, his wording, he says that he gave himself to them as a priest would to his God. And I first thought, well, those are kind of strong words. You know, why would he say that? Why would he write that? Um, why why would you say it that way? You know, it it, it kind of says says something like says something about the 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 role or the capacity of this individual will be giving their whole life basically to to this MIB profession. You know, like you would give your whole life to to let's say maybe your your wife or your husband, um, but in this case, you're giving your life like a priest would to his God and, you know, no other, no other thing, nothing else to distract him or her. So nothing too much to glean from this particular snippet other than the fact that, again, it draws a lot of parallels to what we see in the SSP, in the SSP types of events where these individuals are kind of mentally prepared. They're, they're chosen, they're, they're picked very carefully to be part of this program. And once they're picked, then they kind of go through, again, a series of possible mind wiping, which we'll talk about in a bit, and possibly other uh, other things to prepare them for the program. So now we're going to listen to another video clip here that where we're going to kind of, he's going to discuss uh, what could only, you know, be described as the types of things that are done to these candidates to prepare them for entry in this program. I was injected with various forms of mind-altering drugs, LSD, heroin, mescaline, morphine, sodium pentothal, and more. Drug-induced hypnosis followed with anti-grade and retrograde amnesia. The goal was to program me to do two things, kill and forget. So there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, when you, when you hear all this list of psychedelic drugs that apparently were given to these candidates to kind of get them uh, relaxed or, you know, co coerced enough to really um, to, to do basically what these uh, individuals wanted them to do. It's, it's a long list of drugs, but it's also what, you know, what typically is known as the drugs that were given to the MK Ultra candidates. Um, again, LSD, salicin, salicin, um, mescaline, those types of hallucinogenic drugs that were known to be 
used in various experiments by the U.S. government as part of this program and other programs. So why is it interesting in terms of how, how they worked? Well, kind of reminds me again of uh, even what, what he says near the end of, the, of this video clip where he says they were trained to do, um, you know, wh one thing, which was kill and forget. That kind of struck at me. And again, it kind of sounds very cultish. So similar to Charles Manson, where, you know, his followers basically were coerced into killing for him and then killing whenever he wanted them to kill. So again, it's very cultish in what, in what they, what they want. It also kind of reminds me of the, uh, the character of Winter Soldier from the Marvel series in that, um, he, there's this red book where if you read a particular set of lines from the book, it triggers him to act and to kill on command whoever is his next target. Um, but according to, let's say, I, I'm going to read you a little bit of from the journal Psychology Today. According to this journal, this, this, this scientific journal, it says, could you be hypnotized and forced to do something illegal or diabolical? The general answer is that you cannot. So it actually references MKUltra and then it says, what has been documented is that if you found a subject whose personality was deviant to begin with and wanted to direct their minds to do something extreme like plant a bomb or commit an assassination, you may be able to guide him or her to do it with or without hypnosis. But to convince a normal person to become a killer is extremely unlikely. But if you are able to use coercion, such as kidnapping and threatening the life of their child or a loved one, a person could very well be able to do anything to protect their offspring. So, in other words, the, the, the U.S. government, again, um, this individual, Dr. Gottlieb, who was apparently in charge of the, the MKUltra program, he was trying to see if this wasn't the case, right? Could you actually wipe the individual's memory and kind of give them a brand new set of memory, me memory rules that would kind of be triggered uh, he, he or she would be triggered in order to, let's say, assassinate somebody. And then right after, you would wipe that person's memory again. So I've actually found an NPR article that kind of talks a little bit about what he wanted to do. So this NPR article says, Gottlieb wanted to create a way to seize control of people's minds. And he realized that it was a two-part process. First, you had to blast away the existing mind. Second, you had to find a way to insert a new mind into that resulting void. We didn't get too far on number two, but we did have a lot of work done on number one. So that's near the end of the video. Again, he talks about what's called retrograde and enterograde enterograde amnesia. So Gottlieb does say that they did get far in retrograde amnesia. So in other words, they cannot remember events prior to some particular point of brain damage. So whatever they did to them, maybe these drugs, some kind of electroshock therapy, it actually caused retrograde amnesia. They didn't remember anything prior to that event, but they didn't get far in the anterograde amnesia, which was they cannot they cannot um, later remember events that occur after the brain damage. So they were not able to stop individuals from recollecting those anterograde uh, those memories done after the anterograde amnesia. So this is this is true. I mean, what this video is saying in terms of. Uh, and it makes sense if this individual named Joseph Spencer, uh, if he's now, let's, let's just say the movie is based on a real account. It's now 2018. This film comes out in 2018. And this individual, um, 
let's say he, he worked for the for, for this organization from 1973 to maybe 1997. Um, you know, maybe now he's beginning to to remember some of these events post brain damage, post mind wipe, uh, and then it it appears though he does remember his event the events prior. But he, they, again, they don't they don't really talk too much about his life prior to joining this MIB organization. So, whatever is the the, the things that this individual says, this this actor, the Tom Keating character, or played again by Victor Dante that we're that we're hearing right now as he reads these little clips, it's not anything new, and it is something though that we we do see happening in the MK Ultra project, and. It did. It did occur. I mean, if you if you read a little bit about that project, you know that is a historical project that the government did try to use these techniques to try to create these uh, to see how far human manipulation, you know, uh, the manipulation of the human mind, uh, what, you know, how far that can go. So now we're going to hear a little bit about what happens when he he basically passes their, uh, I guess their uh, enrollment program into the MIB. Uh, system and and what he sees once he's in that program. After nine months of programming, I had become a man in black. What I later discovered was that not all the men in black were human. About a third were alien hybrids. Their distinctive feature was the absence of whites in their eyes, giving the impression of empty eye sockets. This unsettled me, and it took months to adjust to, to the reality of alien integration. So the thing that strikes me first is he says that he's gone through nine months of programming, uh, mental, some kind of psychotic programming, and then becomes an MIB. That nine months is interesting because obviously that's a gestation period for a human, nine months. So in other words, he spends nine months in the quote-unquote womb of this program and then is reborn or born again as an MIB. So I, I don't think that's a real number. I think that's just, again, for Hollywood purposes. They came up with that number, and uh, that's that's how they, they are able to talk about it. Um, the other interesting thing he talks about is that he sees that once he's there, he realizes that a third of the MIB, the men in black that he works with, well, before I, before I go into that, again, he says he goes through this nine months of programming, which results in him becoming a full-fledged man in black. In interesting, you know, take, interesting thing to say. Uh, but then he says that he realizes that a third of all the men in black have their, all their eyes are full, fully black. There, there is no, you know, no, no, no iris, no pupil. They're just full black because they are alien-human hybrids. So, let's, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, that's always been a theory for what men in black are, is that they are alien-human hybrids. One, because of, if you, re you read a little bit about the Albert Bender case, uh, even about the Mothman case, where you have men in black being seen and interacted with, they tend to act very weird. Um, I read some of the stuff from Nick Redfern, and he has some good books on the men in black. And he says that a lot of them were, a lot of, a lot of these men in black cases, like, I remember a story where, a family, uh, uh, a housewife, let a man in black, man in black, in in during the Mothman craze, and the man in black kind of held a spoon, didn't know what to do with it because she she offered him some, some kind of food, maybe yogurt or ice cream, 
they didn't know how to eat with a spoon. So it was something kind of new to them. So this whole thing about them being half alien, because they're because they're half alien, they don't know how to act human. They don't know how to act fully human. They have very pasty skin, according to them. Some of the witnesses, uh, very very thin. They dress in um, aged, dated clothing. So again, the whole fedora, the whole wearing long, you know, dark suits, even though it's hot outside. The other thing that's interesting that I think we see in play play, play here is a whole, possibly like a black eyed kids kind of thing. So I have another I have another episode as well if you want to look for that where I talk about that that uh, phenomena together with like Brian Bethel and um, David Weatherly some of his research and I go into that but the black eyed kids phenomena is kind of in in play here because these individuals apparently have all black eyes I don't really see too many accounts in research where alleged men in black sightings where all of these men in black have all black eyes. I don't, I don't see that. Uh, so that reminds me again of the black eyed kids. So I think that they're now, the video, what it's doing is that it's actually combining some additional elements of paranormal types of things, but combining them in this alleged uh, MIB experiment experience. But I don't think it has anything to do with, with, with their, their eyes being all black because um, again, I think it's, you have the black eyed kids and then you have the MIB, two separate things. But now we're kind of seeing a kind of a combination of, of both in, uh, in this account. So in this next clip, um, the character again of Victor Dante, he kind of goes into a little bit about um, what his jobs were, what his job was as a man in black. My assignments largely dealt with UFO sightings and crash sites. In August of 1971, I witnessed my first UFO crash site just north of Edwards Air Force Base in California. Inside the craft were three grade humanoids, two dead, one still alive. Also in the craft was a human female abductee. The alien humanoids were transported to the base, but two witnesses had arrived before us and took several photographs. The first surrendered his camera, but the second fled. When we apprehended him, he resisted, and I was ordered to silence him, which I did. The killing of witnesses was executed with a wand that acted very much like today's taser, but the voltage from the wand would cause immediate cardiac arrest, and the victim's death would be attributed to natural causes. We silenced countless victims, not only men, but women of all ages and even teenagers. So a lot to unpack here. The first thing to note is that he says that he was involved in a, an alleged alien, let's say, crash in 1971 where he, there was two dead aliens one, and one alive. The first thing I think when I think about that is 1971, that was a little bit less than 30 years after the Roswell crash. But the whole idea about two dead aliens and one, one alive alien and that it was later kind of taken away is basically kind of what happened at Roswell. So. Now you're seeing the whole Roswell element come into play in this video. So nothing new. Again, it's it's a rehashing of an existing conspiracy theory or an existing case, let's say the Roswell case, kind of combining it with um, just changing some of the years, changing the year in this case. And again, the elements that he talks about, crash retrieval, live and dead aliens, 
He also says there was an abductee on board, a female abductee on board this craft. He doesn't say what happened to that female abductee once they uh, recovered the craft. So again, even that element now is coming to pl- coming into play here. The interesting part too is that at the end of this clip, he says that there was a photographer that they chased him, um, and he had to silence this photographer because they had taken photos, and that he and that that was his job that he silenced these witnesses. And what does that mean? Well, he killed them. That's what he's trying to say. The, 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 the cool part, I think, is, if, again, if you think about those MIB movies, uh, the, the MIB Neuralizer, what they called it in the movie, where they kind of waved it in front of your eyes and it wiped away your memory. It wiped away anything that you had seen, the, the whole Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones, MIB movies. Yeah, that's what he's talking about here, where he's talking about a wand that, that instead of wiping away your memory, it caused cardiac arrest for these witnesses. So, again, I think this movie came out in, in 2018. The MIB movies have been around a long time. So I I couldn't find out, I couldn't find anywhere online um, the origin of using that wand in the movies, the Neuralizer. So I don't know if that ha- is coming from some reports of alleged MIB using some kind of wand, or if this movie is borrowing from that particular m- movie, the aspect about um, the Neuralizer. Either way, you know, it's, it gets a little graphic, some of the some of the scenes in that film. Um, again, I think it's meant to portray that it wasn't this neuralizer or wand. It wasn't what, like the Will Smith type of wand, but this was more deadly. Um, but even then, I think all of the elements of this clip, they're, they're, they're borrowing from the Roswell case. They're borrowing from just standard uh, crash retrieval types of elements. And then they're also borrowing again from possibly the Hollywood MIB movie. So nothing new, again, a kind of a rehashing of existing um, elements of supposed conspiracy theories. So in this next clip, I do want to warn you that it does get a little graphic with uh, some of the details that are discussed as to, again, some of the jobs that this Joseph Spencer character, this alleged MIB, did as part of his, uh, as part of his duties. The following day, After each kill, our memories were reset, so we would have no recollection of the murders. A good majority of the victims were ufologists and whistleblowers. Among the ufologists I personally silenced were Paul William Cooper, Milton Vigay, Claude Monroe, Anthony Vargas, and noted documentarian Samantha Willis. When my wand malfunctioned with Samantha, I resorted to strangulation. She fought for her life for almost two minutes. In recalling this act, I stared into her pleading eyes for the entire duration with absolutely no remorse, guilt, or feelings. That was how effective the mind conditioning was. And it's her face that haunts my dreams more than anyone's to this day. So according to the clip we just heard, he he basically um, was in charge of uh, silencing some of these pretty famous um, UFO names. The first one that stands out to me again is Paul William Cooper, um, Bill Cooper. So again, if you if you look up his name, you'll see that he's a very famous author of the very famous book named uh, Behold the Pale Horse, and but he's also. Per- pretty pretty weird guy 
Um, if you if you just look him look him up a bit, you'll find that he kind of was involved in a standoff, and at least according to some of the websites, he, he killed a cop, and then the cop the, the cops killed him, and um, some of his theories that, that I've never read that book, but I've seen it at bookstores, and the cover itself is pretty pretty psychedelic to to put it you know bluntly. Um, he says he silenced him, uh, according to this, uh, according to this, this video that we're watching today. I don't know about that. Again, that's just another very famous name. And again, that's another one of these elements of this video where a, a group of other, uh, high strange conspiracy theory names are brought into play, but we see a little bit of uh, sloppiness because he does mention the name that. He, that he silenced a an investigator named Milton Vigay. Now, and he also says that he silenced another he he silenced um again Paul uh, Paul William Cooper, but that wasn't his name. His name was Milton William Cooper. So it, it appears that he 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 switched the names. It really shouldn't been it shouldn't be Milton Vigay. There is no such person named Milton Vigay. It should be Paul Vigay. And there shouldn't be anybody named Paul William Cooper. It should be Milton William Cooper. So basically, he just flipped the first names for both of these individuals. Um, Cooper and Begay names are flipped. Again, it, it's just, I think, another pretty, to me, according, I mean, to, to make a movie, a Hollywood movie, to kind of try to, now again, it's being shared in all these Facebook groups as nonfiction. I mean, that's real sloppy. Uh, all you're doing is just flipping a couple of names, and that gives you kind of, uh, another way to kind of create this pseudo history. However, we do have though, you know, the, 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 the Paul the gay, again, he calls him Milton Begay, but Paul the gay was a real, um, uh, UFO expert. And, um, according to an article, it says, um, according to this article in, in the times, it says the death of leading international UFO expert, Paul the gay is a mystery. A coroner has admitted after he drowned without leaving a suicide note. So that's an article in the New York Times from January 2010. And a little bit more also on Paul Begay, it says that he was actually involved, he was a consultant um, on crop circles for M. Night Shyamalan's film Signs. So in interesting, you know, the, his connection, let's say, to Hollywood and his connection to the UFO community. And apparently he was found, uh, with, uh, according to internet he committed suicide however with with the, you know if you're familiar now with more recent um ufo investigators that have apparently died mysteriously you'll 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 find the name tracy twyman and i bring her name up you know may god may god may she rest in peace but she was also found um with signs of having committed suicide and i remember her also on the Ground Zero podcast. If you're familiar with uh, Clyde Lewis, he's kind of an interesting guy. I, I don't take everything he says uh, to heart or believe 90% of the things he says, but he did have this individual on quite a bit, Tracy Twyman, and she talked about some pretty esoteric things, some some things I didn't really want to get too much into because pretty dark, dark stuff she was into investigating. And a few months ago, may, maybe not even a year ago, uh, I, I read that she had um, had been found dead, and that it was of, a, of an apparent suicide. But again, nobody really knew if that if nobody knew the details. But Clyde 
Clyde speculated in his show that she got too close to the truth on some kind of stuff she was investigating related to um, satanic stuff, satanic stuff happening in the government. Um, another, again, very, very famous uh, case of this kind of thing happening is, again, Phil Schneider. So if you if you look if you're watching my YouTube version of this podcast, there's there's very few non grainy photos of Phil Schneider out there, and there's a whole bunch of really good videos, obviously, of of his talks where he talks about the Dulce base and um, and I'll go I'm gonna talk a little bit about him as well, but his story is really out there uh, as far as him fighting aliens, getting part of his fingers blown off in the battle against these alien greys in the Dulce base in New Mexico. And his case is, is, is interesting, but it's really, again, like Carl Sagan, you know, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. I don't give too much credence to his case, but he was also, again, he was found dead. I, I was able to find some of the pictures apparently of his, you know, I'm not going to show them here, but of his body, pretty, pretty, you know, morbid, pretty grotesque apparently of you know what his body looked like he was burned up and um seemed like a very lonely guy just really into conspiracies and uh reminded me again of a lot of these characters where they're they they've kind of gone off the edge so much there's so much into this uh this ufology or conspiracy stuff that they uh I, I don't know I don't know I don't know if if he really did commit suicide or if there is really a an ultra an ulterior agenda to to these deaths, but in terms of the individuals described in this video that apparently this Joseph Spencer character killed, I don't know if I don't again they're just another element of conspiracy where MIB are MIB are known to silence witnesses like they were allegedly that they allegedly did in the uh, Mothman case, um, and they allegedly have done in other cases where. Uh, MIBs have been seen where they come in and then they threaten the witnesses, uh, even like in the Roswell case, they threaten the witnesses and say they're going to be, they're going to, they're going to die if they speak about this um, or they're just questioning them. But in this case, you know, uh, Milton, William Cooper, uh, Phil Schneider, even Tracy Twyman, maybe some of these individuals, you know, did really die under mysterious cases, mysterious cases. So I don't know how much credulity we could give to that. But yeah, that definitely is an element. There definitely is an element of that ha happening in the UFO community and in the conspiracy community. So we do see mysterious deaths. So yeah, that's that's definitely a, an element of this video that you can take with, uh, with without a great assault. So this next video, little video clip, um, where he's going to discuss what he calls the Granada Treaty. So I'll get into that in a second. So they stuffed out a documentarian. Yep. Well, that's not good to hear. Yeah, yeah. All right, move, move, we're going to move on. In 1954, Dwight Eisenhower signed what's known as the Granada Treaty with the Alien Gray Race. In exchange for shared alien technologies, the Greys were allowed to abduct a number of humans annually for medical examination. The Greys also demanded anonymity from the public. A short time later, human technology took a giant leap forward with circuit chips, fiber optics, and lasers. The Granada Treaty is still active today, but the number of human abductions has increased despite objections from the world governments. 
So the Granada Treaty, when I first heard of it, and, and before this video, I had never heard of it. But when I think about Granada Treaty, I think about the Treaty of Granada, uh, historically, which was kind of a treaty between the Moors, the Moorish people, and the Castilian people of Spain that occurred in the 1491. But that's not what we're talking about here. And I think the way that he pronounces it is a little deceiving because according to, um, let's say, in the video he mentions Dwight D. Eisenhower in 1954, he signed, again, this Granada Treaty, which was like a treaty between the gray aliens and humans, right? But it's not really spelled Granada, it's spelled Griada or Griada. And that's kind of how I've seen it throughout the internet. Some people spell it Granada, not Granada or Griada. But the treaty itself, and I'm going to just kind of read you a little blip about what, what it's supposed to be. It says, then President Dwight D. Eisenhower signed a treaty, the Granada Treaty or Griada Treaty, the Great Aliens. The deal was that the United States would keep the presence of gray aliens a secret and they would provide the United States with advanced technology. The gray aliens promised to not make a treaty with any other country, and for this they were allowed to abduct humans and examine them to monitor their development, with the requirement that there would be no marks on them and that they wouldn't remember anything. So that's a that's kind of a known and and this is something this is something that, you know, when I was kind of growing up and getting into this uh paranormal stuff, I thought to myself, you know, that if there was some kind of agreement between the government and these aliens, it was, it was probably, it would probably be something like this where we give them bodies and they give us technology. So I guess that's what really, according to this Granada Treaty, happened. And like in the video, it says that it, I guess it has to be renewed often. Um, I did find an article that mentions that uh, it says the headline of this article says, Former U.S. President Eisenhower's great-granddaughter in Australia to discuss alien treaty at Close Encounters Conference. So it says that on February 21st, it talks about how Dwight D. Eisenhower signed the Granada Treaty. And Eisenhower had three meetings with the ET races following that first contact meeting. But then it says now, almost 64 years later, the former president's great-granddaughter, Laura Eisenhower, which is kind of known in paranormal circles. Yeah, she's, she's kind of into that uh, abduction type of type of phenomena. She's, uh, which is interesting. Again, she's a great granddaughter of, of the president and she's into this paranormal types of types of things. Um, according to her, the Granada Treaty is signed every 10 years. So apparently she is going to try to meet with Donald Trump in the Oval Office and enlighten him from her wealth of knowledge. However, when I read the end of this little article, it says that Laura Eisenhower will be traveling to Uluru, where she will be fulfilling a long-held dream of opening the 13th Stargate at the Cosmic Consciousness Conference and also appearing at the Close Encounters Conference at Coffs Harbor. I was already kind of getting it. That's kind of way out there, like real new age real uh, um, contactee type of stuff. But in terms of it being a, a, an actual agreement, I don't know. That's what the that's what I've researched. I don't know if I want to believe all of that. Could I believe that Eisenhower did meet with maybe a race of aliens? That's been the case. That's been, you know, in a lot of books, we hear that. We hear Nixon was involved. Um, 
if you're familiar with Grant Cameron, he's a real good uh, a UFO researcher to, to kind of follow. Uh, he gets into the uh, the presidents and the UFOs, and he has a lot of information. And he speaks like 120 miles an hour, but a lot of information about the, what the presidents possibly knew about the UFO presence, the alien presence. What I I couldn't find why it's called Granada though. I, I, that just gives me a, when I think of Granada, I think again of the Treaty of Granada in Spain. Um, but I don't know why it would it be called Granada. But if it does exist, I mean, this video would be spot on in that this individual, Joseph Spencer, did know about it back in 2018 and knew about the exchange of humans in exchange for technology, uh, such things, again, as microcomputer chips. And he mentions that. So that, yeah, that's, that, that's a possibility. You know, I don't, I, I think that the video is not so far fetched in, uh, in, in assuming that if that is, uh, if that, if a treaty does exist, I, I would think that that's what would be the purpose of this treaty. So this next part of the video is kind of another element of, again, high, cons high strangeness, high conspiracy kind of, kind of, um, talk where now this actor again, um, uh, Victor Dante goes ahead and now is bringing in the element of more real life type of conspiracies or m not even necessarily conspiracies, but you know, we know that there are a lot of missing children that go missing throughout the year, uh, at any particular, in any particular year. And, uh, for many, various reasons, um, again, a lot of them are probably part of this, uh, what we know that's happening now is, you know, this, uh, um, human trafficking um, a lot of kidnappings that happen throughout the United States, throughout the world for, for various reasons, child labor, um, you know, other, other things that are pretty graphic that I don't want to talk about now, but this next part, he kind of goes into how this, um, missing children, the statistics related to missing children are also part of this apparent MIB overall conspiracy. Now, the really interesting part. Every year, at least 8 million children go missing in the world. I can attest that one-third of them are abducted by government operatives and transported to any one of the 1,477 underground military installations on the planet, then imprisoned for the remainder of their lives. So the first thing of note is that he says that there are 8 million children that go missing uh, every year. And they are imprisoned in what he says, 1,447 underground bases around the world and that they're never heard from again. So I looked at some statistics from the, uh, an organization that kind of tracks missing children. And according to, to their numbers, uh, there is about 1 million kids overall that go missing a year. And again, it's not even counting some contingencies, let's say maybe statistics from certain countries, let's say developing developing countries are not available. And these kids maybe are not counted in terms of in, in this particular number. However, even with um, taking those stats into consideration, you're still, um, you're still only at about a million kids, uh, roughly, uh, in a particular year that go missing. So where does he get this 8 million number? It, I think it's more of an exaggerated number that he's coming up with. And he talks about having 
1,447 underground bases. Well, I think here he's um, underestimating the number because if you just do a quick, let's say, even a Wikipedia search, you'll see that there's, according to Wikipedia, over 10,000 underground military facilities worldwide. So he says there's about 1,500. So he's got that way underestimated. So he's got the missing children number overestimated and underground military facilities underestimated. Is that on purpose? I think so. Again, it's just more disinformation within uh, legitimate information, which kind of creates pseudo-information. So, but, I, but it's still, again, it's another element of this whole conspiracy that this individual, um, Joseph Spencer, is trying to kind of put together to kind of portray, again, another just another element of all of these conspiracies that apparently he was a part of. So this next part of the video, um, he kind of goes into a little bit kind of darker type of conspiracy that we also see in play in, uh, in, in some other areas of the paranormal that I'll discuss after you hear this next clip, where again, he talks about the kinds of things that happen to these kids that go missing um, as part of this conspiracy. The children were subjected to biological and genetic experiments, dissections and mutilations performed not by human scientists, but an alien gray species. So as you heard, he is um, now kind of combining this element of missing children together with E.T., uh, E.T.'s, gray aliens, doing experiments on these kids um, throughout the years and doing all kinds of just, again, um, I kind of just thought about when I was hearing this, again, thinking about the, uh, the Nazi scientists who did quite a few experiments on kids and, you know, hor horrible stuff that he did. I can't remember his name at this particular moment, but, but I also thought about, again, going back to Phil Schneider and how his story about the Dulce underground base and how when they went down there and they had this battle with these aliens, according to, the, to Phil Schneider's story, that these aliens were down there doing experiments on people and they were just, again, up to no good. So again, the story now we're talking about with kids, the element of kids and kids being experimented on. It seems, again, another another conspiracy out there. You know, you, you got a lot of missing kids for realistic reasons like human trafficking, like we talked about. But now the element of the alien greys are brought into this to kind of blame it on them. Uh, and then again, this is the reason why it's happening because of uh, experiments happening to these kids throughout the throughout the years and again, another element just of conspiracy stuff. I, I, I don't take it too, 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 I don't give it too much credence just because again, we, we don't even hear about these kids having experiments done on them by aliens. I mean, if we would hear if it, if there really is 8 million kids going missing every year, we would really hear about more details about these missing kids. I could see a million kids, and I and again, you hear about it on the news, not necessarily even just in the United States, but throughout the world. So, if there are experiments being done to these kids in these, let's say, underground bases, it would be kind of hard to really hide this secret uh, overall. In this next video clip, we're going to hear a little bit about how these experiments were done on apparently on these kids, and uh, who 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 basically was the person in charge that this MIB Joseph Spencer spoke to that kind of got him in the know about these experiments. During my stay at the Vanguard underground base north of Phoenix, Arizona, 
I witnessed many of these procedures. Because there was no form of anesthesia administered to the young patients, the halls reverberated with the screams of tortured children from morning to night. The ones that perished were incinerated in the installation's crematoriums. My point of contact at this base was Lieutenant Colonel Charles T. Leninger, and he was a human-alien hybrid. So that's kind of a pretty graphic description, right? Um, saying that these kids were experimented on without any anesthesia. So all you heard were screams reverberating throughout the halls and rooms of this underground military base. And the, the, the actor again on screen, Victor Dante, mentions that there was a military base named Vanguard Military Base just north of Phoenix. And that that's where he apparently, Joseph, Joseph Spencer apparently, was um, witnessed to these experiments taking, taking place to these kids. However, if you do a search on military bases in Arizona, you see that there's about 11, but not one of them has anything similar to the word vanguard. There's Fort Huachuca, there's Gates Pass Base, Gila Mountain Area, Grand Wash Cliffs, on and on, all the way to Santa Catalina Mountains Base. So you've got a lot of different uh, underground, let's say, military bases these are all mili underground military bases, but there isn't any of one of them that sounds similar to Vanguard. In terms of just military bases, uh, well-known military bases, again, you've got the Davis-Monthan Air Force Base, Luke Air Force Base, Marine Corps Air Station in Yuma, um, all the way to Sky Harbor Air National Guard Base. But none of these, none of these have anything similar to the word Vanguard. When I was thinking about this here where I live in California, we do have the Vandenberg Air Force Base out near Santa Barbara. But again, he mentions that it's north of Phoenix and not one of these sounds like Vanguard. So I think, again, it's another made up element. And then he goes into another interesting element where he says that his main, uh, I guess the main person that he spoke to that kind of informed him about these experiments and that was in charge of overseeing this base quote-unquote Vanguard Air Force Base, or I'm sorry, Vanguard Underground Military Base, was this person named Charles T. Lenning Lenninger. Now, I couldn't understand in the video if he, if he says Charles D. Lenninger or Charles T. Lenninger, but if we assume it's T for Tom, I could not find anything about this Charles T. Lenninger, who he says is an alien-human hybrid. And again, going back to the beginning where he talks about MIBs being alien-human hybrids. Well, he says this is another one. But Charles T. Leninger, I couldn't find anything related to him being anything connected to the conspiracy theory of MIBs. But again, I did find a, an ancestry record for a Charles T. Leninger that um, I guess served in, in, in the Army, uh, in the Army Transport Service, born... Um, actually, he, I guess he departed... Uh, December 8th, 1918, he departed Bordeaux, France, and he arrived in 1918-1919. Uh, and I guess he's from Cleveland, his, his home place, Cleveland. But that's the only Charles T. Leninger that, might, that kind of fits the bill for this particular individual that he's referencing. And we're talking about Tr Charles D. Leninger, uh, D as in door. Again, I also found another army record from World War II. Uh, 
an individual named Charles D. Leninger. Leninger spelled a little bit different. And, and according to this record, he did serve in World War II uh, in the branch and material warrant officers. So there's two individuals that connected to the government, but are not connected to anything related to the MIB. So I'm not sure where he got this name from. If he just, maybe the director of this movie or one of the actors are related to this, any of these two Charles T. Lenningers. But again, he, he's kind of referencing again to the beginning of, of the video clip where he's talking about alien human hybrids. And that's again, a well-known um, conspiracy theory because of the nature of how these MIBs act very awkwardly. They do not, uh, the, the, at least the accounts of people uh, meeting these MIBs, they act very awkwardly. They tend to not know how to act human, uh, like a typical human would. Mannerisms, uh, peccadillos, those kinds of things that make us human. And because of that, people again think that they are basically um, aliens disguised as humans trying to assimilate themselves into the uh, into humanity. And going back again to the beginning of this video clip we just heard, this audio clip we just heard, or video clip if you're watching on, on YouTube, it talks about experiments being done on these kids. And again, I can only harken back to these Nazi medical experiments that took place, um, not necessarily even just to kids, but to adults that resulted in horrible, horrible disfigurements. Um, for example, some experiments I, I read were done on purpose without uh, Nazi medical experiments were done on purpose without anesthesia to kind of determine the pain threshold of individuals, which sounds horrible. But again, this this what we just heard, basically that is what's happening. So again, you're kind of combining maybe the Nazi World War II type of conspiracies that the Nazis apparently had and did, and uh, you're combining them now with some more paranormal type conspiracies. So definitely that, I, I could definitely see... Um, the Nazis doing that, because again, there's historical records of them performing these experiments without anesthesia uh, on their victims. So I guess in this case, you're just replacing the Nazi with a gray alien. This next clip gets into even another conspiracy that's very well known throughout conspiracy circles. And again, it has to do with population control. And we actually see it even more now, um, if you're familiar, of course, with um, the whole Bill Gates and vaccine with for COVID. Uh, and there has been actually, uh, s some of the vaccines he did, he did work on, you know, again, he, he's tied to his, I believe his parents were very, uh, high, very well-known proponents of population control. So a lot of, a lot of conspiracy circles want to peg him in the whole of like father, like son, like mother, like son. So that's another aspect of conspiracies when it comes to this video is the population control aspect. So we're going to hear that now. Get ready for this. In 1994, the World Population Summit in Cairo, Egypt, had 160 nations participate, where they all agreed that the human population was out of control and must be stopped because the world is running out of resources. An agreement was formed that would mandate the reduction of humans from 6 billion to 800 million by the year 2030. This meant finding a method or methods to wipe out nearly 95% of the population. Solutions were discovered, investigated, tested, then created, and have been in full force since. The procedures have been inflicted onto the human race are as follows. One, 
toxic levels of chemically enhanced fluoride have been secretly added to our drinking water over the last 20 years in every city and community on the planet. I personally oversaw the delivery of fluoride barrels to Denver, Chicago, Tampa, and Minneapolis water departments. The adverse effects of fluoride poisoning to the human body are numerous and debilitating. The effects to children is damage to their neurological development, among other serious ailments. So as you just heard, uh, according to this Joseph Spencer's uh, deathbed confession, that one of the aspects of, of the whole black uh, government, one of the aspects of I guess you, what, we'll later, what we'll later call the New World Order, the One World Government that is trying to be imposed, is population control. And he talks about how that they, they talk about a conference that took place in Cairo in 1994. So I did some research, and yes, that conference did take place. It took place on 13th of September, 1994, in Cairo. And it was what, what you would call, um, uh, again, kind of a, a, a very, very big conference on population management. And a lot of countries were represented. Uh, but I did find that, taken from, from one of the websites on the, from the UN that discussed the findings at this conference, it said that at this conference, it was emphasized the integral linkages between population and development, and it focuses on meeting the needs of individual women and men rather than on achieving demographic targets. So that's what's listed on the website of the UN Population uh, Fund website, particularly for this conference that took place. So even the UN itself is saying that the purpose of this conference was not to immediately find ways to reduce population. Because that's what he's saying in this video, that that was the purpose of the, of the conference. And this official website is basically saying that that was not true. So he's saying that there was a mandate to reduce population from 6 billion to 800 million by 2030. That's a big reduction. I mean, you're talking 6 billion to 800 million people by 2030. We're in 2020, so we would be 10 years away from that goal. But if I did some searching as well, and there's a lot of uh, studies done, let's say, by uh, uh, scientists that are kind of experts on, I guess, how you, what you would call demographics or population management. And if you think about the natural resources on Earth versus the amount of humans consuming those resources versus the amount of space on Earth, you could actually come up with a pretty good number as to what is the ideal population for Earth based on the amount of resources and based on the space available. According to this scientist named Paul Elric, he's a scientist at Stanford. And again, he's his his main focus he's he's apparently the world the 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 world's utmost um i guess you would say expert on on population he says that the ideal number for earth's population would be anywhere from 1.5 to 2 billion people that would be the ideal number of people overall on earth so if there's about 8 8 billion 8 billion people on earth now 6 billion people let's say back when this movie was made now, what I've read, there's maybe about 8 billion. That's roughly the, an estimate of Earth's population. If the ideal population for Earth is 1.5 to 2 billion, and this movie is saying that we need to reduce it to 800 million by 2030, again, I think this number is being way, under, way underestimated. Um, 
So again, another type of misinformation. And uh, we're talking about a person that Paul Ehrlich, who, who's an expert on population. And if he's saying that the ideal is 1.5 to 2 billion and the movie is saying 800 million, I don't think that that is a, uh, a legitimate, again, scientific fact. So another one of those where you're mixing false information kind of pulled out, I don't know from, from where, um, with maybe some legitimate conspiracies. Yeah, there's a legitimate conspiracy related to population control. But in terms of that number, 800 million, why is that there? I don't know. But I don't give it any credence either. And I don't think this is happening. Uh, because just because of the fact that, um, again, you're not, you're not, that would be, that would be really tough to reduce the world's population to 800 million in just 10 years. Um, but again, he, in this video clip we heard, he goes on to talk about the very, very well known conspiracy of fluoride. And even if you're looking at, at the YouTube version of this, I'm showing a slide where a picture that kind of says that from, from a, from a website called Real Health Pro, which seems legitimate, but the, the, the kind of the landing page on this website says the contraceptive the government hides in our drinking water. So again, it's another conspiracy related to fluoride that fluoride is used primarily for what, what he says. It's basically a contraceptive. Now, there's an excerpt that I found from the U.S. National Library of Medicine, and this is what it says. It says, fluoride, as it is rightly said, is a doubly-edged sword. Since topical benefits of fluoride are as good as systemic, but the risks are maximal on ingestion, the ideal recommendation would be to limit fluoride to dentrifices and mouthwashes. So, I... From what I from what I read and what I researched, yes, fluoride does have a lot of risks, uh, particularly when ingested, according to the U.S. National Library of Medicine. So there are cases again where countries are fluoridating their drinking water for purposes again of of uh, cleaning the water. Um, but even even here, it says that there's only three Western European countries which still practice water fluoridation, and those are Ireland, Spain. And the UK, the UK 11%, Spain 10%. So there is again, I think because of that, there there is definitely a risk with fluoridation in, in drinking water, ingesting that. But because of the effects of fluoride, which again are also known, um, but but again, I think the conspiracy conspiracists conspiracy people have kind of used this to blow it out of proportion into thinking that it's a government ploy to control population. And again, even going back again to the whole Bill Gates thing, again, I found a, a cool meme online and it's not, it's, it shows him uh, basically kind of holding up his vaccines in his hand. But there's a tagline on the, on the meme that says, the world has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could perhaps lower that to, to by 10 to 15%. So again, it even harkens to the whole Bill Gates uh, population control using vaccines type of uh, conspiracy, and this is these are all just conspiracies. You know, again, I don't I don't know the answer, but it, there, I hearken always back to Carl Sagan: extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, and to think that a, the whole all of these governments would be in unison to actually try to 
uh, control the population using these methods, it seems very far-fetched to me. But in this next part of the video clip, we're going to continue hearing about these apparent ways where the government is trying to, this one world government that this MIB, Joseph Spencer, is trying, that, you know, he's trying to say how the government, the NWO, is trying to control the population. Two, man-made viruses and diseases. The AIDS virus, which was a designer byproduct of the American Disease Institute, was distributed through vaccines to the public in 1980. Instituted as a preliminary population control tactic, the results were successful and led to more lab-produced viruses that have since been unleashed onto the public. Among those is the development of a mutated version of the common flu to replicate the 1918 influenza pandemic that killed 40 million people. The first strain of this new flu virus will be released to the public in late 2017. So if we see a flu outbreak in the late 2017 or early 2018 that's killing people, we'll know this is true. All right. So a lot to unpack on this one. And this is one that kind of struck close to, I think it struck close to my heart and I'm sure it'll strike close to your heart because it's talking about the, a pandemic as a population control technique. And obviously, we are now in the midst, we're in the midst now, you know, over six months now in this COVID-19 pandemic that has throttled the world. And uh, I'm here living in Los Angeles where everything is still, for the most part, closed. And the video basically says, the video that clip that we just heard, is that one of the ways that the government will uh, control population is by creating pandemics that will decimate our population and reduce it by the appropriate amount. But he all, but he mentions particularly the AIDS virus, that he says that the AIDS virus was created in a laboratory and was basically released on purpose in order to do its, do what it's supposed to do. Um, now, as I remember reading a little bit about the AIDS virus, and it said that it, it was basically a zoonotic virus. Uh, in other words, it resulted from a combination of, let's say, chimpanzee DNA with human DNA put together at a, at a specific moment uh, in the perfect conditions that resulted in is kind of a zoological uh, zoological zoological origin to the virus. In other words, they call it a zoonotic virus, uh, animal and human DNA mixed together, which is what they say that this COVID-19 virus is the same, same, same thing that happened. But he is saying here that the AIDS virus was released uh, because of that. And that's also a very well-known conspiracy theory. Um, I found some statistics, particularly with the, with, uh, with the, uh, the group of, Af with groups of African Americans, um, that were surveyed, let's, to, to ask them about the AIDS virus. And from, let's say, uh, 500, let's say 500 randomly selected African Americans ages 15 to 44, this is what was found for this particular survey that I found. It said that 44% believe people who take new medicines for HIV are human guinea pigs for the government. 27% believe AIDS was produced in a government laboratory. So a little over a quarter believe that. 48% believe HIV is a man-made virus. 15% said AIDS is a form of genocide against blacks. And 16% say the government created AIDS to control the black population. 
So that's just looking at, again, from the African-American point of view, that this conspiracy theory about the HIV virus is definitely out there. Um, and, and even hearkening back to, if, if you're all familiar with, I, I know it, it was really shared in a lot of different conspiracy and paranormal groups, the whole Sylvia Brown book, uh, her book called End of Days, published 12 years ago in 2008. And there's a paragraph in her, a bullet point actually in her book. And it says, and again, this book was published in 2008. It says, in around 2020, a severe pneumonia-like illness will spread throughout the globe, attacking the lungs and the bronchial tubes and resisting all known treatments. Almost more baffling than the illness itself will be the fact that it will suddenly vanish as quickly as it arrived, attack again three years later, and then disappear completely. So that's a book, that, that's a bullet point in her book. It's actually on page 312 of her book, of her book End of Days. And Sylvia Brown is, um, according to her uh, bio on various websites, she's a known psychic. So how does she know this? I mean, it seems like, well, you know, what, what a coincidence, right? And then we hear about, obviously, near the end of this video clip that you just heard, he's saying that the U.S. government um, is engineering a strain of flu that will be released on our population in sometime near the end of 2017, early 2018. And obviously, that's really not that far away from 2020. But what could we say about that? Well, 2020 itself was kind of a big milestone in terms of years. So to predict that something would happen in 2020 was not too far off, I think. Uh, just like we could say, well, something happened in the year 2000 or maybe the year 2050. They, they're, they're kind of landmark years. So I don't think it's a real legitimate prediction that this film made in 2018 about the year 2020 because we obviously knew about um, 2020 being just a just a big year in general. I mean, it's uh, you're you're basically kind of being done with one decade and starting another decade. Even the alliter alliteration in, in saying 2020. I mean, it's it's just amazing. There's a, you know obviously there's a show 2020. So I don't think there was anything a, a real coincidence, a, a real prediction in saying that there was going to be a, a strain of of a, a engineered flu vaccine released. And we obviously know that the COVID-19 virus is not a flu. So, you know, but it, but it is still kind of interesting that this person in this video in 2018 kind of was close to the date of March 2020 when we, we saw all hell break loose with COVID. But again, that's still two years off um, that this parent MIB, Joseph Spencer, said that this would happen. And I think this is the main reason why this video is kind of trending a lot uh, because of obviously we're in the middle of this pandemic, but even the Sylvia Brown coincidence, um, could she be a little psychic where she can see stuff like this? Maybe. I mean, I know that, you know, that the universe is all connected. Everything is connected. Could she have seen, you know, given some kind of gift, uh, some kind of, you know, vision of the future? Who knows? But in terms of the movie, though, it seems like maybe they just kind of um, happened to hit the nail on the head randomly in predicting some kind of pandemic within a couple of years of the date they gave. 
but even then, the date they gave was actually the date that the movie was released. So the movie was released in 2018. They said 2017-18. So maybe it was not so much of a reach to say that this pandemic would be released, this, this virus would be released the same year that this video was released. So I, maybe, it re- in my opinion, I don't think it was such a big risk to say that. Now, if, if they said, okay, in the year 2030, it's going to be released, well, that's 12 years after the video was released out to the public. That's a different story, I think. Because again, you're thinking, wow, that's a long time. But if you're saying 2017, 18, and the film was released in 2018, not a really big prediction, in my opinion. So I don't give it too much credence, but it is interesting, nevertheless. So in this next video clip, he gets into a third method that apparently the MIB uh, orchestrators are trying to control our population. Uh, so let, let's hear that. Let's hear a little bit about that method. Three, killing us from the air with neurotoxins, barium chloride cancer microbes and viruses by way of chemtrails released into the skies daily over all inhabited regions by military aircrafts. The effects of these toxins are severe and over time lethal, causing respiratory ailments, cancer, damage to the immune systems, and sterilization in men. Since the chemtrail plan was implemented, sperm count in men has dropped nearly 50%. If this isn't reversed soon, the human race will face early extinction. So as you heard, uh, what he's talking about is a very well-known conspiracy of chemtrails. And when it comes to chemtrails, I like to think about, um, and I always think about uh, Clyde Lewis. If you're familiar with the podcast, Ground Zero, and he, he, I'm, I'm impressed with this guy because he puts on a three-hour podcast. I don't know if he's doing it now because now he kind of went to a paid platform so I don't hear it very often because I'm not part. I, I'm not subscribed. But when it was free, I would hear it on iTunes or uh, I'm sorry, on podcasts or Spotify. And again, you could even catch my podcast, the Paranormal Nothing podcast, on Spotify, on on iTunes podcast app, um, Google podcast, Amazon podcast. It's all out there now. If you want to listen to this podcast on any of those platforms, but Clyde Lewis's show, he would always go into chemtrails. And it's a three-hour podcast that he does nightly. But I think he actually gets invited to do talks regarding chemtrails. So, and not necessarily just any type of chemtrails, but he talks about geoengineering in relation to chemtrails. So, in, in one of his books, this is kind of the summary of his book. It says, for more than 20 years, veteran radio host Clyde Lewis has researched the strange, the odd, and the bizarre. His writings, featured in many magazines, have now become legendary on topics such as Harp, the fake moon landing, the apocalypse, and about everything you could imagine in between. Now, some of his influential influential research into chemtrails, geoengineering, and climate change have been collected into one book. Read it if you dare. So he, he has a publishing group called Paranoia Publishing, and he talks a lot about chemtrails, but he basically says, again, that it's the government, that the government is trying to geoengineer the climate using chemtrails in the video we just saw the clip we just saw it's the up it's a different uh reason for these chemtrails in other words we're being poisoned we're being sterilized and they give one particular figure they say that sperm count in men has dropped over 50 percent 
that's that's one of the things that that stuck out to me. Um, and I did find actually a statistic in New York Times in a New York Times article dated August 16, 2017. The headline of that article says. Sperm count in Western men has dropped over 50% since 1973, paper finds. And again, this is the New York Times article dated 2017, and we know the film was released in 2018. So I don't think this is a coincidence. I think this film just basically grabbed a statistic from the New York Times and called it, called it their own. And now they connected it with the whole chemtrail conspiracy. Um, and... Chemtrails, we, again, even the film takes place in, in Los Angeles. And if you watch the film, the, the whole film, near the end of the film, he's actually out in a, the, 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 the actor that's reading all these lines that we're hearing, Victor Dante, he's actually sitting out like in a park and he goes on and points up at the sky. He's like, look, look at those chemtrails. They're poisoning us as we speak. And I don't know about that because this, I also kind of researched a little bit in, about chemtrails themselves, and I found an article from Scientific American. And in Scientific American, they got together a group of 77 scientists, and they published a report in the Journal of Environmental Research Letters. And this is what they found about chemtrails uh, after discussing them. Again, 77 scientists, experts in atmospheric science. They said, of those 77 scientists, 76 of them said they found no evidence of a secret large atmospheric program. In other words, 98.7% of them said there was no data to to basically say that chemtrails are some part of some conspiracy to either control uh, some kind of processes in the atmosphere or to, you know, control population. So that's another just conspiracy now that I believe this film is bringing into play in addition to all of the other conspiracies that have been kind of grouped together, consolidated into, into all of the conspiracies that this MIB has, has kind of put out and put on his apparent deathbed confession. So this next part, we're going to get away now from this whole population control conspiracy. And now he gets into a little bit more of UFO conspiracies not necessarily alien being conspiracies, but UFO conspiracies. So let's hear what he has to say. And the first one he's going to talk about is the very famous uh, 1997 Phoenix, Light, Phoenix Lights incident. Now the grand finale. This is some scary shit. In March 1997, an event known as the Phoenix Lights became the most infamous UFO sighting in history. A mile-wide vessel clearly not man-made, flew slowly and silently over the state of Arizona and was witnessed by 10,000 people, including the governor of Arizona. To date, there has been no reasonable explanation. But for every witness interviewed, the craft was as real as anything they'd ever seen. Their lives were transformed. They now believe that we truly are not alone. However, there is another truth. For I know what they really saw. So this video clip you just heard, he basically reviews the main parts of the Phoenix Lights incident, and that's a that's an interesting incident. I I, I give it I give it no doubt. Um, when that happened, I was 16 years old, uh, and I remember hearing about it in the news clearly here in Los Angeles. Again, Arizona is not that far, and I remember hearing about it on the nightly news. 
And I remember seeing the pictures. And it's always fascinating me because when you think about, you know, a, a large, I don't remember, I don't, I don't think it was a triangular UFO, but just, see, just thinking about a gigantic UFO parked over a city, I think about the movie Independence Day, or even the movie Arrival, a recent movie. Um, and it, it looks like, it, I mean, if you look at pictures of the event, uh, of people that took pictures of the parent, apparently this giant craft sitting on top of Phoenix, uh, that's what it reminded me of. And even the actor, Kurt Russell, I believe, recently came out saying that uh, because he was a pilot, uh, he, he also reported seeing this craft. Um, there's actually even been a, a film now made, right, called Phoenix Forgotten. About uh, It's one of these, uh, it's, it says based on a shocking untold true event. So similar, I guess, to, to what we're trying to analyze with this film that we're, um, video, this video clip, video film that we're analyzing today. Phoenix Forgotten, I guess, blends kind of nonfiction or historic, real things that happen together with fictionalized and a fictionalized outcome for what it is that, that the Phoenix lights were. But I find it interesting that at the end of this clip, he says that he knows what it really was. So let's hear, let's hear him now talk about what he says was the true nature of the Phoenix lights. 1986, while stationed at an underground installation near Boulder, Colorado, I was introduced to Project Skybeam by Lieutenant General Andrew Garris. I was then led down a corridor and into a large hangar where a stealth bomber hovered only 20 feet above me. I stood there confused. Then Garris looked over at me and smiled, then asked if I was certain of what I was seeing. I replied, of course, what else could it be? I was then shocked to find out that this wasn't a real craft. It was a projected hologram. Since the early 1950s, scientists have been developing holographic technology and over the years improved it to a state that we can only imagine. As I stood there staring at the bomber, which looked so absolutely real and solid that I could reach up and touch it, I contemplated the possibilities. What if this projection was a thousand feet up in the sky? How would anyone know that that was an illusion? The Phoenix Lights craft, witnessed by 10,000 people, was the first grand-scale sky beam test upon the public. It succeeded beyond expectations. In October 1938, Orson Welles unleashed his War of the Worlds radio broadcast to the American public. It was so realistically portrayed, vast portions of the population went into panic. Terrified citizens scrambled to evacuate their cities in droves. America had been easily tricked by very simple means. To amplify this response, those who are truly in power of not only our country, but all the countries on the planet, and who are the true purveyors of the depopulation process, have formulated the final stage of their sinister plan. So a lot, a lot to unpack in this uh, longer video clip that I, that I kind of, uh, on purpose, I didn't really want to cut it out um, before kind of that last part and the beginning parts about uh, the, the, the project itself that he references, Project Skybeam. So before I get into that, though, I want to talk about what he says in terms of a, uh, a a military base in Colorado. And if you look, I looked at some of the military bases in Colorado, and there wasn't any that kind of, I guess you could call, would be like an underground military base, other than one called the Cheyenne, Cheyenne Mountains. 
Um, and it, it, it is a legitimate military, underground military installation near the Cheyenne Mountains, and it's four and a half acres. A complex of 15 steel buildings, some three stories tall, all connected. And apparently this Cheyenne, Mount, Cheyenne Mountain um, military installation was the home of NORAD for a time up in, uh, until 2008. Um, and, but, it, but this Cheyenne Mountain military installation is in Colorado Springs, and it's not in Boulder, where he says that this is where he saw uh, basically a hologram of a uh, stealth bomber. And when he was shown this, again, he calls it in the video Project Skybeam. But another very, very famous project in conspiracy circles is called Project Bluebeam. And I want to read you what Project Bluebeam is. Bluebeam beam is in terms of a very, very short definition that I found that will kind of describe what, what this is. Project Bluebeam is a conspiracy theory about a supposed project whose purpose is to create an artificial second coming in order to control people. As per the alleged theory, the New World Order's purpose is one, to abolish all Christian and traditional religions in order to replace them with a one world religion based on the cult of, ma of man, two, to abolish all national identities and national pride in order to establish a world identity and a world pride, and three, to abolish the family as known today in order to replace them with individuals all working for the glory of the new one world government. So that particular Project Bluebeam conspiracy theory is, uh, is known as having originated uh, with, with a journalist named Serge Monast, who was, a who was a Canadian journalist who wrote about conspiracy types of things, but he came up with this uh, Project Bluebeam conspiracy theory. And I've heard it actually, I've heard people talk about this theory many, many occasions. Um, some kind of equate it with a false flag operation that basically you're going to have a man made alien invasion take place, which we'll see in a little bit. Um, but in the case of what Joseph Spencer, this MIB Joseph Spencer said, is that he was told about this project in its infancy and that the Phoenix Lights incident was basically kind of the first large scale usage of Bluebeam to try to see what, what people, what people, how people would react to it. Um, so in other words, the craft that we saw in Phoenix wasn't real. It was a hologram. And that that was a purpose of this project. Can could could that be real? I don't I don't take it out of I I don't entirely not believe it, especially because even now we know that our, our technology, even when it comes to holograms, is very very powerful. Uh, getting into kind of more popular culture, I mean I know recently I saw that we were you know um, even Hollywood was able to create holograms of Michael Jackson and of Tupac Shakur to actually kind of create uh, concerts where they were out there singing, even though they've been dead for many, many years. So that's just recent. And I know hologram technology is something that's even the whole universe itself. You know, I've, I've read some books where they talk about the universe being a hologram. Could it be that the stealth bomber, it, it might be a hologram. 
I definitely feel there there could be some science, true science behind hologram technology being able to create these grand illusions. But I think that the film itself it's is using that known uh, conspiracy or known just secret technology to kind of expound on this theory of a uh, of the government trying to control us. And so the science might exist, but again, the film is really kind of trying to connect that with conspiracies. Again, with the conspiracy now of of, of a known event such as the Phoenix Lights and a known um, st- the, the stealth bomber. Obviously, we know that it exists. So it's again connecting both um, historical and actual data we know about and kind of putting them all together and it all kind of gets all confused and we all kind of believe now that that yeah hey the stealth bomber was um it, it was a hologram in this particular case he's talking about and the phoenix lights incident could have been kind of up up what you know trying to be like um the next step in 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 creating a large scale hologram so what would be the eventual next step after the phoenix lights incident so that's what we're going to hear about now in this next video clip and in this this next video clip it's basically the the final video clip of of this video again that has been shared uh a lot on facebook and i i've seen it talked about quite a bit on facebook so this is kind of like the 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 acme of the video and it talks about what the ultimate purpose is according to joseph spencer of of this one world government of this new world order and what they want to do with all of these conspiracies and all of these alleged forms of control and what their ultimate goal is so we're going to hear that now and then we'll unpack everything at the end in the year 2024 a global event will alter the course of mankind's future the world will stand witness to a massive alien invasion. Thousands of projected holographic alien warships will blanket the skies, sending people into a global panic. Real military crafts within the holograms will inflict actual damage to the surrounding areas to sell the gimmick. And as a result of the ensuing human chaos, a one world government will immediately form without any resistance from the people. They will be the new world order. Once this happens, we as a people will be doomed to enslavement and accelerated depopulation. With that said, the only hope for human salvation is to acquire and spread the knowledge of these activities and agendas. Resist, retaliate, then conquer this imposing enemy. The time is now, as humanity is rapidly approaching final days so that concludes the video clips that i wanted to to present to you guys and that last video clip there's a lot of material there that kind of summarizes what the purpose i think of this video clip is in general that this again this video that has been shared throughout facebook and it's a video snippet of a of basically like a kind of a b documentary b-level documentary that's available out there um and the, the movie is called alien overlords but what this last clip points at is something that i referenced earlier earlier which typically is labeled as a false flag so what it's saying is that project blue beam but in the movie they call it sky beam again and just another way to hide 
the true nature of what it's trying to say, uh, or the true name of the project that it's referencing in this case, it's basically saying that the U.S. government or the governments of the world are going to try to put together a false flag alien invasion. Kind of, they themselves are going to generate the aliens and using Bluebeam, again, the, the hologram technology that apparently exists, they're going to create this invasion in, and he even gives a year, 2024, which is interesting. That, that is more of a kind of a, of, of a risk because again, this film was released in 2018 and he's saying in 2024, we're going to see this alien invasion take place. Um, this, fake alien invasion and what is it going to be like we see other false flag operations have taken place in the past uh propaganda for example during uh, uh during times of war uh, are meant to kind of convince people that control is needed for a society that's kind of an example of a false flag but when it comes to alien invasions basically the false flag is going to be in order to allow people to understand that the need for a one world government is needed due to the invasion of Earth by a group of aliens. And they're going to use Bluebeam for that. But again, the the, the project Bluebeam that this individual um, named Serge Monas said was that it was basically to try to create a, holog- a hologram of a second coming. And I believe that in even the, the podcast called The Paracast uh, with Gene Steinberg, I think even in the past when they've talked about, uh, uh, when they've when they've interviewed uh, Jacques Vallée, I think even he has mentioned that he's heard that this is the, the true nature of Project Bluebeam would be to kind of create a second coming. In other words, Christ. Christ coming a second time. They would create this hologram to to kind of show that, to see people would buy into it, and they would be able to control people's thoughts, people's beliefs, people's actions. Um, and that's that was the way that uh, that people were trying to that the government would try to control these individuals. But it's interesting because uh, I found this this uh, little clip or this little uh, piece of writing in re- uh, coming from Hermann Goring, who was part of the, of the Nazis during the Nuremberg trials. And this is what he said, kind of related to, to, to false flags. He said, Naturally, the common people don't want war, neither in Russia nor in England nor in America nor, for that matter, in Germany. That is understood. But the people can always be brought to the bidding of the leaders. That is easy. All you have to do is tell them they are being attacked and denounce the pacifists for lack of patriotism and exposing the country to danger. It works the same way in any country. Again, this is attributed to Hermann Goring during the Nuremberg trials, very famous Nuremberg trials. So, it appears that a false flag can be done um, on any country, this he's giving an example of war being used um, in order to to kind of create a false flag. Do I think that this is real? That it could really happen? Let's say that it's going to happen in 2024. I don't think that it's out of the question because again, technology is very very advanced, and we obviously have a 50 billion dollar black budget uh, budget in the U.S. government. You know, even I'm sure now it's even uh, way more than that, because um, I think the number I was the number I was quoting was from like 2017, but now for 2020, 2021, the budget I'm sure has grown. Could there be some kind of advanced holo- holographic technology in there 
to create really, really realistic holograms that can actually convince entire nations that something is happening in their skies. I think it's possible, but for the purposes of this NWO or this one world government that will quote unquote enslave humanity and will be at their mercy. I think that's an, I think that's very, very, I don't want to say right wing, but it kind of reminds me of a, a lot of the COVID-19 conspiracies that we see now that it's a, a, a way to control the government. People don't want to wear masks because they see it as a sign of government trying to infringe on our rights. I don't believe all of that stuff, to be honest with you. I think it's just common sense. And in this case, I think it's another common sense way to see that. Ultimately, I think this video is a, a kind of a, a, a grouping of a lot of different conspiracies that ultimately, at the very end, kind of the zenith conspiracy is this whole Project Bluebeam that ultimately will enslave humanity. And that's the purpose of this whole video. And it talks about all these other conspiracies leading up to this one. But at the very end of the video, it's, it's again, a, 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 a whole explanation that con these conspiracies, if they come to fruition, are going to basically infringe on, our, on your rights. And I think that's kind of the whole purpose of the video clip. And I think it's gotten some traction because it talks about, again, a pandemic in 2017, 2018, and we're now in 2020. And it talks about a whole bunch of different conspiracies that I think are, are not necessarily uh, connected, but are out there and we know about them. And obviously this show you're hearing, you know, I'm into conspiracies and you, you obviously are as well. They all are, they all are kind of presented in this one video. Um, so now I, we kind of gone over the whole video step by step, analyzed it, g gave some credence to some things, totally uh, put down some others. I kind of want to give you my final thoughts and explanations on a few things that I think we could take away from, from the video and Things that we could definitely just push under the rug. So the first thing I want to talk about is this MIB. So again, the, the purpose, the title of the video has the word MIB in it. Men in Black. Um, and this Joseph Spencer individual. And unfortunately, I, I've actually did some reversed, reverse image searches on this individual that apparently is is called Joseph Spencer in the video that that is subtitled uh, when you're looking at the picture of this individual right below him there's a name say it says Joseph Spencer and um, I I did find one hit using some uh, AI type of reverse image reverse image websites search websites and he's kind of connected to the film American Gangster of all things which is interesting. I couldn't find anything else on this individual other than he being connected to that film. He's wearing the hat of that film in another photo I found. And I couldn't find his picture, let's say, in IMDb. So I believe he might be an actor. I don't think, definitely, I don't think that's him. Why would, why would his image be that easily available to do a reverse image search for him? So I don't think that's the case. But even the, the whole part of this being a deathbed confession, we do see a lot of those out there. Um, I remember recently there was one done, um, Richard Dolan, the very famous UFO researcher, he did a deathbed confession with an individual that apparently had 
worked for the government in these projects, had known about the alien technology. So these deathbed confessions do exist. Is this one, is this film based on one? I, I think it could be. Uh, it could be based on, on a deathbed confession, but there's been just, there's too many, uh, too many fictional elements that have been introduced into this, uh, into this whole entire movie. Uh, and it, and into the, again, some of these historical uh, events and historical facts combined with fictionalized events has kind of really thrown the wrench into maybe giving the, the MIB any kind of credence in this, in this video. So I don't think that, I don't think that this individual, Joseph Spencer, I mean, is he a pseudonym for something else for, for a real MIB? Apparently uh, we, we get the name of a real man in man in black. I don't know. I, I don't, they do mention actually a name in the film and I did some research on that name and I couldn't find anything on that name. So again, I don't know what's real, what's not in this video, although it's based on, again, on legitimate conspiracies that are out there. The other thing I wanted to talk about was the aliens and these underground bases. And that's, that's maybe a show I'll do in the future, but that's definitely an interesting perspective because again, even with this Bob Lazar, S4, uh, Dulce, I think Dulce is kind of a fascinating case. Um, Phil Schneider, I don't know about, I don't know about his, his, you know, series of videos that he talks about Dulce and underground bases and fighting with these aliens. I, I don't know too much about that in terms of it being accurate. Um, but, but it's interesting nevertheless. So I think that we can say that there are definitely underground bases throughout the world. Um, I can't remember the name off the top of my head right now, but I know there's a very famous base in Australia that I've heard about. And obviously close to where I'm at here, Area 51 in Nevada. Uh, I've never driven there, but I have some friends that have driven out there. And you can't really get close to it. But I'm sure there's stuff going on underground that we don't see from the surface. And there's, other, there's a lot of... Um, actually, the one in Australia is called Pine Gap. So I know that's a very famous underground base. So who knows again what happens in these bases, and could there could it be also just the fact that because they're underground and secret, that you get the, that element again of supposedly aliens being involved with that? Could be, but I, I, I I'm going to leave that door open. You know, again in terms of underground bases being part of this whole conspiracy um, conspiracy theories that were presented in this film. The third thing I want to discuss is this pa the pandemic aspect, and I think that's pretty close to what we're all going through right now. And I think, again, that's why this film, this video, this video snippet has been shared quite a bit on throughout, throughout uh, the internet, throughout Facebook, throughout YouTube. And because of that, it seems like this, in, this film again, does kind of predict something's going to happen in not that far away from, or not, not that long ago. Cause again, it predicts it in 2017, 18, but Again, I don't think that there's any credence to that because, again, it's the film was released in 2018 and it predicts it to happen in 2018. Not a very big risk. Now, if they would have said 2020, even then, just because of the nature of it being 2020 and, and 2020 being just a big year for for everyone alive or for alive on Earth being another decade, second decade of a new millennium, that's a pretty big thing. So I don't really give it too much credence Again, not a not a big risk, not a big prediction to make. So ultimately, I think that this video is is what you could call a pseudo documentary 
without context, this video snippet that has been shared. And that's the fifth thing I wanted to, to talk about. And it's a, it's a pseudo conspiracy because it kind of blends, as I mentioned throughout this, this podcast, it blends historical facts with conspiracies and with kind of an actor reading them and the whole aspect of a deathbed confession, all of that together kind of create a nice little video snippet that kind of pulls people in. Uh, but if you analyze it for what it is, it really is just um, kind of like the Blair Witch Project, uh, where it's like a mockumentary, where you don't really have anything of value. Uh, it's just a rehashing of um, of existing conspiracies that we know about through a, through a bunch of different uh, websites. If you go to Above Top Secret, you'll see you've got a bunch of different conspiracies in different areas uh, let's say with relation to aliens, with relation to cryptids, with relation to one world government, with relation to diseases, pandemics. And this video kind of puts them all together under the, under the pretext of it being a deathbed confession, um, from a, from even another conspiracy from an MIB. So I think that's what this video is. Again, it's a, a six point is kind of a, it's a consolidation of a lot of all of these conspiracies put together. And it kind of draws you in. And at the end of the, at the end of the video snippet, it even again, it, it talks about Project Blue being, being kind of the, the whole point of all of this is to kind of enslave humanity. And again, that's another conspiracy. So too many conspiracies that do not have enough verifiable facts to really back them up. It's again, to harken back to what I've said multiple times in today's podcast. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And in the case of this video, not enough evidence is provided to give it any credence. And again, I think it's just entertainment more than anything. Um, but again, some of the things are based on legitimate historical events, historical data. But it, but 95, I'd say, give it 90, 90% of what's been presented in this video is just, it's just conspiracy. And it's kind of high fringe conspiracy. So it's not it's not necessarily anything uh, mainstream, I guess that that could be easily believed. So thank you again, thank you all all you listeners that have kind of stuck around for the end of today's episode. This has kind of been my longest episode I've done. It's going to be a little bit close to two hours long, but I thought I wanted to release this one two two weeks after my last one because this one kind of did did take time to research and put together and. And kind of see what was fact versus fiction. Uh, and again, it's kind of stuck in stuck in my head because I've been seeing this video shared quite a bit without any context. And if you think about it, and if you analyze this video with context, you'll see that it's just just a bunch of fiction, um, but but thrown within little bits and pieces of legitimate stuff that's happened or legitimate mysteries, I guess you could call it. If you so, just to finish off, you know, if you haven't followed me on Twitter. My handle is at Paranothing, Facebook at The Paranormal Nothing, Instagram at The Paranormal Nothing. Um, and also, if you haven't signed up, again, please sign up for notifications on YouTube. Uh, also, if you can, subscribe and like today's episode, like the podcast. Again, I'm also on um, Apple. I'm on Spotify. Uh, I'm on Pandora. I'm on Amazon and um, Podbean. So I'm on, I'm on, I'm on all those, uh, venues, but I'm also on YouTube. So if you want to go ahead and go on YouTube, 
I'm also on there. Um, and if you if you just have a question or if you want to kind of you want to uh, possibly you know have me read your story, if you have a question about the paranormal or you want me to include you on a future episode, please send me an email. My email is theparanormalnothing at gmail.com. So thank you again for listening. And I hope everybody is continuing to stay safe amidst this COVID-19 pandemic. Tomorrow, actually, I'm not sure when I will release this, but tomorrow is October 1st for me. So it is the first day of October, which I hope will uh, provide an opportunity to do some good uh, episodes this this month. So I've got some ideas on some that I've got lined up. Stuff that, you know, hopefully will scare you a bit this month in October coming up and get you ready for Halloween, which is uh, my favorite holiday of the year. So take care, everybody. Stay safe and God bless.